Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast and I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today is episode 36 and we have the Whale Capper joining the show. The Whale Capper is a sports better based out of Southern California and has been involved in sports betting for over a decade. We discuss the nickname Whale Capper, betting offshore, how to build a sports betting model, betting with Bitcoin, NBA and NFL, and advice on what not to do when sports betting. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. As always, you can find us at businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback and potential guests you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy my chat with the Whale Capper. Today I'm joined by Whale Kappa. Whale, thank you very much for joining me. Oh, so happy to be here with you today. It's a beautiful, beautiful day in Southern California and uh, a lot of great stuff going on in the world of sports right now. Absolutely. So before we get going here, I, it's it would be remiss of me not to ask, where did Whale Kappa come from? Oh, Whale oh, So um, I, I got into this... Uh, you know, gambling Twitter space and, uh, wanted to post my picks and wanted to kind of be part of the conversation. And, you know, if you're not posting what you're playing, it's awfully tough to do that. And so I decided, you know, Hey, I needed a, I needed an anonymous Twitter handle to make this work. Uh, I went back to a nickname that I had, uh, had been given back in the day when I was in college, I was on the swim team and, um, I used to wear a drag suit that was too big for me during practice, <laughs> and uh, my white butt would be hanging out from time to time. And when I was a freshman, the seniors uh, used to call me the white whale uh, because I had uh, a little bit too much butt cheek exposed in practice. And so uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to be the white whale. And I figured that's actually kind of a funny, perfect, coral, you know, perfect, uh, you know, uh, you know, a pseudonym in gambling Twitter because whales are, you know, these big money betters. And I thought that was funny because I'm not really a big money better, but, you know, it'd be funny to, to, to be like that. And, you know, white whales obviously is a fun literary reference as well. And, you know, for a lot of people kind of beating the book and, you know, making money in sports betting is, is kind of the, the white whale or the Moby Dick of, uh, of what we're all doing here. So it, uh, it felt, you know, felt perfect. And, now I've just kind of transitioned to Whale Capper because that was the Twitter handle that was available. And so I just, you know, Whale Capper and I got the White Whale logo and that's my deal. There you go. And even the podcast Deep Dive, which I'm sure a lot of people know of or will know of after this and should definitely check out. So there's a lot of good references there. Yeah, it's a good, uh, it, it, it all works out pretty well. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a whale fan as an animal as well as a whale fan as a, as a betting, uh, you know, betting pseudonym. So it's, it's all good. So take us through your background and I guess your first experience with betting. It sounds like Southern California is where you are now. Were you always there and what was it like back when you started uh, with your betting days? 
Well, man, uh, so I've always been in the U.S. better, um, and it's been the Wild West to bet in the U.S. for as long as I've done it. Um, I was in college back in the early 2000s, and um, one of my friends at uh, in college uh, kind of talked me into, you know, hey, I got this hot angle on uh, Long Beach State in college basketball on like a random night in, you know, in January. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I, yeah, okay, I see that. You know, they definitely could win by more than four points. And I'm like trying to figure it out. And at the time, the only way you could do it is, you know, through offshore sports books. And so I, you know, just created an account and deposited $100 off my debit card. And, I was off and running, won the first bet on Long Beach State, and I was like, oh, this is easy. And uh, that kind of got me hooked. Uh, Ended up kind of doing really well in the first month or so of of betting on college basketball and NFL playoffs and kind of coalesced with putting an uncomfortably large amount for me at the time because I was in, you know, sophomore in college, put most of my bankroll on the Patriots to win the Super Bowl over the Rams in 2001. I was totally bought into they were the team of destiny. (laughs) And um, the Patriots came through for me on the money line and the point spread. And uh, after that, I was like, you know, I I got this industry figured out. This is no problem. Um, But uh, it didn't take long for things to catch up. And, you know, I'm pretty sure I had lost it all back by the time March Madness rolled around that year. And, um, you know, And then through the years, I've kind of kept my stakes relatively low because the, um, you know, being a U.S. facing better, you're stuck with, you used to be at least, you used to be stuck with kind of dealing with sports books that were pretty, pretty suspicious and not necessarily clear that they were going to be there come the end of the season and and getting money out wasn't particularly easy. You could get bank drafts drawn and these ridiculous checks would show up and sometimes the banks would accept them and sometimes they wouldn't and so there was always a kind of you know being a u.s facing better there was always an air of you know all of the money that's in my bankroll could go up and smoke any day now yeah. um and then um and then sure enough that happened to me at one point i had a i had a pretty good thing going in the late later 2000s and i was mostly betting off of wessex uh, worldsportsexchange.com and that thing went up in smoke um, and my whole bankroll disappeared on me um, and after that I was like you know what I gotta take a little bit of a break here until they legalize gambling or something and I just would bet when I would go to Vegas and things like that and then like a new wave of kind of more re- more more respectable sports books kind of rolled into the offshore space um, come like 2012 probably uh, and so I got back into uh, betting offshore and um, and then really things kind of took off the last couple of years for me sports betting because you started to be able to take uh, money on and off of the sports books using Bitcoin and um, that was like a huge huge game changing revelation just being able to convert bankroll to and from Bitcoin and then when you weren't actively wagering for the NFL for instance you could you could let your bankroll grow in Bitcoin and you know, it, it got to the point where, um, you know, it's, I'm now at the place where I'm like, okay, now that I'm, you know, when I place futures, they need to be at a, a Bitcoin backed sports book so that you, you know, your bankroll isn't just sitting there in purgatory. It's actually earning potentially. Um, and, um, you know, and, and just having the flexibility of being able to move money between books relatively fluidly and not having to be worried really about getting your money out when you, when you want it back in your hand, 
Um, you know, all that has kind of changed thanks to cryptocurrency. So that's kind of my journey. So take us back to the moment where you put the first amount of Bitcoin into an <laughs> offshore sports book. Were you, oh, were you man. petrified? Were you completely well, confident? Was the Bitcoin worth, you know, a hundred bucks? Was it worth 2000? What's some of the no, yeah. moments you remember from that? <laughs> the the first time I did it, it was I was playing with like five dollars worth, and it was at an actual Bitcoin sportsbook, Nitrogen Sports. And um, I don't know if you have any affiliates, and I don't necessarily mean to stump for any one particular book because I think they all offer relative value in their respective sports and things like that. Um, but I literally just was like, I'm going to figure this out, and just, you know, and any Bitcoin transaction, the first couple of times you do it, you know, you clearly feel like you're at the will and the whim of you know, people who know a lot more about this than you do, and this money could disappear any second. And it's a, it's a real, it takes a, a couple of times getting used to it to kind of break through and feel like, okay, now I have kind of an understanding of the system. And yes, no, this isn't even really money that's going through the ether. It's just being recorded on a ledger, and you know, it's not going to disappear and and that sort of stuff. You start, you start to get the a, a better, more comfortable feeling, and you can kind of up your, up your stakes in the game as you as you feel better about it and um you know it wasn't until the 2016 nfl season that i was like okay i'm really gonna get all in on this and, and i bought a good amount of bitcoin at that time and um it was funny too i think at the time it was probably about 180 200 of bitcoin yep um and i bought two thousand dollars worth and i was like okay i'm gonna stake my my nfl bankroll starting with two thousand dollars this season and we're going to turn this into something special <laughs> and um and i so i put my sent my my bitcoin my two thousand dollars worth of bitcoin to my sports book i ended up doubling from four thousand so two thousand to four thousand and then when i took it out i had less bitcoin than when i started and i was like holy smokes like if i had just done the same experiment and just let it sit there it would be worth more than actually you know making excellent sports picks and doubling my my bankroll so that was kind of a an eye-opening experience into the potential growth of bitcoin and and um you know by no means am i you know wealthy enough to retire anything off of bitcoin investments but it does make up a nice little chunk of my retirement i would say um and i hope to see it keep growing and see people people keep getting you know getting involved and using it and you know it's uh it's an exciting time so why were you more confident i know you can in theory and probably in reality go back into the distributed ledger and, and find the transaction but couldn't nitrogen sports or any other bookmaker out there technically just take off with your bitcoin as well that's true that's i mean that the 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 um that side of it where the book you know you're counting on the book staying liquid is uh, you know that's a risk no matter who you're going to make a book with right i mean it, it's it's uh it's not like it's still not like in the UK or wherever where if you know they have a, a, a legal obligation to you know to to um, you know cover their liability and, and pay you what you're owed. Um, you know none of that exists as a US customer, which is which is troublesome. Uh, and surely you know the uh, the the concern looms with uh, Bitcoin or any of these offshore books. I would say, though, that the overall growth of cryptocurrency and what's happened 
has to have made most of these offshore books who were early in the game of adopting Bitcoin as a deposit mechanism. Mm -hmm. They have to just be flush with cash right now. I would be surprised if there's really any risk unless there's like a major crash in cryptocurrency. I don't think any of these sports books are struggling to, to, to find the cash right now. I think they probably made 10x what they were expecting just on the growth of Bitcoin, just holding it and being part of the the early usage cases and the early adopters. So Yeah. Well it certainly takes away the the scare of, you know, checks from a lawn mowing company coming into your mailbox <laughs> and all those fun stories you hear. So I certainly agree Absolutely. every other aspect of that sort of transactional basis uh in traditional banking is sort of alleviated certainly so i guess that's a very fun story it's going to be funny when you tell uh tell your grandkids about the first bitcoin bets <laughs> you were placing in 40 or 50 years and see what their response will be but that's a pretty cool story oh man i have some tickets from some nitrogen sports bets <laughs> that i made back when it was like yeah no this was 50 dollars worth of bitcoin and you look at the number now and you're like Oh my God. (laughs) Like that was a $15,000 bet. Like Jesus, like, Oh my God. And you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's just the way that it's gone with uh, cryptocurrency lately. And I don't, uh, I, you know, I don't have specialized knowledge or, or, you know, more than just, a, a an interested parties kind of interest in cryptocurrency. So I'm not necessarily the right person to speak to all this, but I definitely think that the, the demand and the usage cases are growing daily, and um, you know we're headed for some pretty, some pretty amazing, uh, some pretty amazing stuff here in terms of just being, uh, being able to be your own bank and you know have a store of value in this cryptocurrency, which is potentially more secure than even you know a, a federally backed bank in the United States. No doubt. So take us back to what you needed to transition from. Uh socal native who probably had many options i would hope uh coming out of university to a full-time sports better did you think i gotta move to vegas did you think i'm gonna you know what 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 were you thinking back then okay so i should clear up some misconceptions i suppose i am not necessarily professional doing this this is uh this is a hobby interest for me uh in through and through um i've probably going to have to make a decision at some point now that I've kind of developed the following and recording a podcast and writing articles and even doing videos now for tennis stuff. I'm probably going to have to make some sort of decision in the coming years. And I think I'm just kind of holding out for hope that, you know, gambling becomes legal in the United States and that it then and therefore is kind of a worthwhile occupation. Um, but right now I'm a professional, um, uh, I'm a professional uh, engineer and seismologist. Uh, so I deal with uh, earthquakes and ground and seismic hazard and, um, you know, ground motion, um, uh, earth science problems, uh, for my full-time job on a day-to-day basis. And then as my, uh, you know, kind of my, my principal hobby, like some people fish, some people hunt, some people, you know, like to, you know, run marathons. Well, my hobby is I like to handicap tennis, NBA, and the NFL, and uh, so that's kind of just been been my um, my my uh, whole role, I guess, and on gambling Twitter and and whatnot has been, you know, this is what I'm doing for my own entertainment, and uh, I'm happy to share information, and I've found that kind of the best way to connect with people and the best way to kind of 
learn new angles and get information on games and get information on players is to, you know, just share your information and your opinion on things for free. And, uh, you know, if good people find you and you have, you, you engage in good enough conversations and develop personal relationships. And the next thing you know, you have, you know, a, a whole pipeline that helps feed your own mental models about certain you know, certain sports, certain games, certain handicapping styles and, um, you know, makes you a better handicapper and, you know, keeps, keeps you fresh, I suppose, because, you know, it's kind of an ever changing, it feels like at least it's, it's ever changing. The market feels like it's becoming more and more sophisticated. And, um, and so you kind of really have to stay on top of that sort of thing. And, and, uh, a great way to do that has really been, to to talk and and learn from people on twitter and um and so that's uh that's more or less been my approach so i want so has your engineering background helped you with some of the uh the cool and hip terms in in sports betting these days in terms of building a model having an algorithm you know running the numbers you know all the syndicates syndicates and groups out there have teams of quants and all this sort of stuff are you able to do that based on your engineering background and I guess understanding of that side of it? Yeah, I would say that the translation is really uh, has really helped me. Um, <clears throat> it was probably maybe ten years into doing this before I ever really kind of put my education and experience and kind of ability to use statistical models to um, to use uh, for sports betting purposes. But within like a week, I was like, "This is a game changer." I totally kind of it it, to, it totally um, you know changes your perspective when you can have a baseline to evaluate against. Um, and <clears throat> probably the first year I was using models, I had varied success. Um, I kind of went into it thinking like, "Oh my gosh, this is." perfect like i've got a way to beat the system like this is you know no one else knows how to do this and that was pretty naive because obviously a lot of other people are using models even if it's something simple as like i'm using power numbers in the nfl or something i mean that's a model yeah like you're effectively using you know your your tools to kind of understand what the baseline expectation ought to be and helps helps you find an edge you know and you can go much more sophisticated than that and i've kind of gone you know, both ways on this and one, one, you know, one season gone way overboard on like, okay, I'm going to build all, you know, regress all the data from the last five years and build all these bells and whistles into my model so that I can just kind of mindlessly capture all of these angles and, and, uh, you know, trends and things that you kind of see over the course of seasons. Um, and you know, that didn't work out so great. And then I've kind of gone all the way back the other way now where my general approach to modeling is <clears throat> identify a, key, a few key variables that kind of determine the um the likelihood of success for a given team and implement those on a baseline level uh and then just kind of use a couple of knobs like to adjust how a team performs offensively or defensively against their baseline uh, to adjust for situational factors, injuries, and, and things like that. And that way it's kind of a mixture, I suppose, between something that's purely statistical and something that's kind of judgment-based and, and uh, kind of traditional handicapping-based. 
The Betfair Exchange isn't a house that sets the odds. It's betting at its purest. One punter's opinion against another's. Play the game within the game at betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. So the perception is that it's really, really complicated to have a model, to build a model, to run the numbers, have the algorithm. If I'm an 18-year-old person, let's say in Australia for argument's sake, no engineering background, no tech background necessarily, how would you suggest that they get started in statistical modeling or using some of those fancy words? Is it enough to have Excel and put the numbers through there and, and do some calculations? What would you suggest to those types of people starting out? It 100%, it's, it's achievable for anyone who has kind of a basic understanding and, and love for math and the ability to use Excel. You can build, um, I think the, I think you can build a model that's advanced enough to get you to where you're a better handicapper. And that should really be your goal. Like when you, if you're, I guess a couple of thoughts on this and, and, um, I'm kind of shooting from the hip. So, so sorry if I'm rambling. No, go for it. Go for it. If, um, when you get into building a model in the first place, don't expect to do something that's going to predict the correct score every time. That's, uh, it's, it's not, that's not a, um, an achievable goal. There are lots and lots of random factors that you can only hope to guess right on. Um, great examples in football, like you can't exactly expect to guess how penalties will be called in a game, how fluke turnovers will break one way or another. Like you can't, you can't, you can go into a game and say, okay, well, this team has been lucky in terms of recovering their own fumbles and then recovering other teams' fumbles. Um, but you can't necessarily use that as a forward prediction and say, okay, well, because of that, they're going to recover a fumble in this game. And yeah. then that's going to influence the score this way and this way. right? I mean, like, that's guesswork. And so, you know, you can, you can to a degree, um, try to make it very, very complex if you want. And I know there are people that, are, that do that and do that successfully. Um, but for me, it's more, I think you know, a good lesson is just keep it simple. Um, and you know, the six, the ways, the ways that I've found to kind of make sure that you are doing something that's helping you. Oh, and by the way, I, I am a, a, a strong advocate for just do something, yeah. right? If you are just doing something to give yourself an expectation of what the score is so that you're not just looking at numbers and using your gut, you're going to be. You're going to find that you immediately are doing doing uh, better, and and that goes for, you know, a lot of aspects of just kind of gambling for a long time. Like if you're just out there shooting from the gut, you're more likely to kind of be influenced by what you've seen recently. Um, whether you're feeling good about how your picks have been recently, or whether you're feeling bad, whether you you know you. If you're just going with your gut, you're you're more likely to kind of fall into a lot of the gamblers, the typical gamblers' traps, and and so if you were just at the bare minimum, like calculating a score and holding it up to the lines and seeing if it makes sense, like you're you're right away going to be able to make some better evaluations, right? And so that's that's a that's a no brainer for me. Give it a try. Do something. Uh, to 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 project a score and compare it to the lines and to do that um, a couple of the less lessons I've found are one is make it easy on yourself so that you can do it every day or every week without a lot of work 
right? Because the more work you make for yourself every week, the less likely you're going to stick to it and be able to find consistency. And another key lesson of gambling for as many years as I have is if you can kind of find a groove and be consistent, it helps you get through some of the highs and lows without really, you know, breaking your, um, you know, without breaking your bankroll or without, uh, you know, getting too confident in your, your own abilities. And so, finding consistency is important and so i guess i guess i'll use nba as an example when i start an nba season i set up an excel spreadsheet which i put every single game for the whole year right so i'm like i'm basically automating it so i'm like okay let's predict the let's predict the score of every single game from october to april and so you have one sheet i'll have one sheet where i have the list of games that sheet will call from a database on a second tab which you kind of keep your baseline statistics. Um, So you basically can pull in an offensive efficiency, pull in a defensive efficiency, pull in a pace uh, for any team, and then you compare those for the two teams as they match up and use some sort of simple algorithm to project then what each team will score. And, and And then at that point you can say, okay, well, you know, here's my baseline. And, and so then the questions you have to ask are, okay, well, how do I adjust off this baseline? And then how do I populate my database with, um, statistics that are going to lead me in the right direction and not, you know, something that's totally useless. And I found that at least for football, it's important to kind of have offensive and defensive efficiency stats that are adjusted for opponent because there's so few games, you're not going to get a good kind of long-term um, average just by going game to game box scores type of stuff. You need to look at something like what football outsiders offers or other, uh, platforms out there offer in terms of kind of team level efficiency that's been adjusted for opponent. Um, in the NBA, I think it's less, um, less important to adjust for opponent because there's so many games, you can get a pretty stable average just, you know, once you have 10, 15 games in the hopper, things tend to, you know, things will change over the course of the season and game by game will change. Uh, around the average and you can capture a lot of that really if you know who's going to start and who's injured and you know who's gonna who's getting rest and you know if a team has been on the road for four out of you know four out you know they played four games and in six nights on the road you can kind of expect what you, you can you can ding them a little bit on their efficiencies and you know so there's the factors you can kind of turn the knobs i guess um off of your baseline to help you fine-tune your projection and any any time you project a score exactly correctly um from my opinion it's a combination of you have a you had a good baseline and you guessed the correct adjustments yeah and and so you know it's it's uh that's kind of my approach on any given sport and any given day and i try to kind of get into a routine so that you know over the course of a eight month long season like the nba you don't kind of uh lose focus and and lose interest because there's going to be highs and lows and when there's lows it makes you want to quit (laughs) so (laughs) no doubt so what about something like market intelligence in nba or nfl let's just say uh season wins for example which have been out there for two or three months and they might have changed a half a you know a half a win, full win, whatever it might be. Is it worth including things that have been out in the market for a long time that, in theory, have the you know the wisdom of the crowds that say factored into that 
season win line. Do you include something like that in, in your models or do you leave out market intelligence type information? I haven't, but that's a great, uh, that's a great idea. Um, I guess when it comes to season wins, at least I, I only really kind of know and think and look at the NFL stuff. Um, and my, my opinion is the numbers that the bookmakers hang at the beginning of the season are usually like, some of them are usually way, way wrong. Um, and so even if there is some market intelligence and they've kind of corrected from, you know, they were expecting eight and now it looks more like it's going to be four. And so they've dropped their number to six or five or something. And, and, you know, they're trying to kind of create an equal liability. I mean, it, it's in some cases, the bookmakers, you know, trying to project out weeks and weeks on a season long type of number, they're going to be way wrong more than they are close. Um, and so sometimes you can, you know, that, that it could be, um, it could be misleading. Um, and I mean, you know, you know what's a great example of that actually of, of market intelligence kind of being misleading is the NBA playoffs. Uh, when you have a series of game after game after game, it's two teams matching up over and over and over again, right? The market tends to try to correct based on the performance, the past performance within the series, right? And almost always that's a misindicator because the coaches are specifically making adjustments from game to game to try to, you know, to correct things. Um, and so, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, right? I mean, you could have two results that are identical from game one and game two, but, uh, you know, a lot of the times, you know, and there's people who run specifically this kind of zigzag theory in the NBA playoffs, and it doesn't always work. For believe me, I've seen people <laughs> espouse this theory, and it just goes up in flames. Um, but you know, you kind of have to look at the series as an arc and kind of understand. And you can go back and look at past series results, and the, the variable, the, you know, the variables in terms of how each team is, the totals and the the difference between the teams over just a seven game sample can be so wide. Uh, and so sometimes the market is trying to correct in a direction that is in that is informed by the past results, when in reality the the future results are entirely determined by how things are changing and not you know not uh, indicative of what we've seen. Um, and so a lot of the times you can just capture huge edges on sides or totals if you have some information or some expectation of what you know if you're reading the right information from the beat reporters or hearing from you know guy who's training like this guy's hurt a lot more than anyone knows or you know if you can capture small bits of information and kind of have a more you know a more realistic expectation of how a series is going to go you can catch capture huge um edges on the lines in the nba playoffs and in fact like my, that's my favorite time of year for sports betting, really, because you can bet alternate totals and alternate spreads, and a lot of the games come nowhere close to the posted totals and spreads. And so, if you picked, the, if you figured it out, and you've got the right side, or if you've got the right over and under side of the total, um, you can really get a nice payday if, if it goes way over or way under, or if some team just completely cleans the other team's clock. So do you think that's changed recently with these super teams in the NBA? And I think last year it might have been Golden State were like 
16 and 1 overall or something like that and the Cavs weren't far behind. Do you think that zigzag theory and some of that stuff from previous years is is diverted in the last let's say 5 years since we've had these superstars teaming up or do you think it's always been the case? I think there's been less zigzag in the last couple of se- couple of rounds of pl- a couple of years of playoffs than there were 5 10 years ago for sure. Um the and the, yeah, you brought up the Warriors. They were a great example. Like, if you were, if you saw the Warriors going over their total consistently by twenty points, and you kept thinking, okay, well, if they went over by twenty points tonight, the Cavs are going to adjust defensively, and they're going to force the Warriors to go under their total by twenty points tonight. You know, I mean, so, oh, they went over by thirty points. <laughs> you know, and now they went over by forty-five points, and it's just like, oh my gosh, like you, you know, unless you kind of had a sense of how teams were going to fight fire with fire you know you you were trying constantly trying to capture a, a zag that was never coming <laughs> so yeah, right. yeah. super teams probably have something to do with that for sure and you know i mean but it's 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 interesting because you can um at least in as far as nba playoffs go and i know this isn't necessarily timely because it's the middle of january but uh, the, uh, you can look at how coaches um treat a series uh in past experience and get a sense of what their go-to adjustments are going to be. Um, if they're getting, you can find like you can find good analogs usually um, by going into seasons past, playoff series past, and just seeing how a coach responded. Um, like if a team is looking weak on defense and they've lost two games in a row on the road, uh, you know, find a series where they were looking weak on defense and lost two yeah, games in a row yeah. on the road, and you can kind of look at okay well what did the coach do in that scenario oh, okay well he went all bigs and they went you know specifically protecting the rim and then they slowed down the pace and you know oh my gosh this next game they may not be able to eke out a win here but they certainly are gonna they're certainly gonna come in a lot lower on the total and so this game three switching venues so you know different rims different you know prep for each team this is a time to you know, to go ham on the under <laughs> and it comes in under, you know, by 20 points, you can look like a genius. <laughs> you see the numbers, you want more control. On the Betfair Exchange, you can back, lay, trade and set your own odds. So join the world's largest peer-to-peer betting platform. Get into the game within the game at betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. So I want to change tracks a little bit. Once you've run your model and like you mentioned before, it's basically a a baseline for you to evaluate against. What's the next step for you? Do you believe in this situational handicapping? Do you take in the, the ESPN news media to fade the public, which is some of the, the old school sort of techniques that seem to be out there? What are some of the things that you're doing uh, post the statistical analysis? So fade the public and contrarian angles, are there are times and sports where that's clearly a viable approach um off the top of my head favor the public is like it is one maybe one of the most reliable ways to handicap college basketball in the tournament um especially like week two and beyond where you know you have only a handful of games everybody's watching so everybody's betting and sometimes the lines you know, the money is in balance in you know against you know what what would likely you know be the bookmakers preferred line or or you know the basically you can just bet that the bookmakers opening line is more correct than the way that the public is forcing the market to move in certain scenarios 
Um, it used to be that way in the NFL, um, but it's really not anymore. I mean, the NFL used to be a pros versus Joes type of situation for the full, you know, for any given season or any given game or primetime games or you name it. Yeah. Um, but now there's so many betters and there's so many different tiers. Um, you know, there's people who actually, you know, who have sharp information who are handicapping a certain way and know the situations and angles and are incorporating all of that. And then there's people who are kind of in the middle tier who are getting some of the information or just doing straight up fade the public or, or, um, contrarian angles. And then there's, there's the Joe's Joe's out there who are just kind of, you know, making gut calls and, you know, it's, it, there are so many different tiers and, and classifications I would say of, of NFL betters that it, the, the, water is so muddy that i don't think that that's a viable strategy really anymore um and uh yeah i mean it's it's a it's a sport it's sport and um and time of season dependent um and like you know college basketball beginning of the season uh great time to bet favorites uh people just you know there's for whatever reason that there's um, there's a, an appetite for dogs and the favorites usually cover going away and, you know, you can, you can keep it simple and, uh, just stick to something like that. Um, but as far as situations and angles go, I think it's, I, I probably understate how much weight I put on that. I put a lot, I think I put a lot of weight on that and in the NFL, at least, um, I look, I, I look and evaluate hard uh, how much rest you've had, how much travel you've been doing. Um, you know, what are some of the second and third tier players injury status, not necessarily the fantasy football stars, but the, you know, the guys who are, you know, nickel cornerbacks and second linebackers and backup D tackles and, you know, you know, difference makers who, you know, who may not necessarily get a lot of attention, but, um, you kind of want to know, how healthy they are going into specific games and and those those angles i think play a lot more into my handicapping of the nfl than any other kind of traditional um or i don't know maybe more well-known kind of fade the public sort of approach yeah and i think the home dog on a monday night sort of angles is long gone but some of the other it sounds like you're a bit more deeper in the analysis in terms of you know, the backups and, and things like that. I've Even things like you hear a little bit, well, this team isn't great, uh, you know, against tight ends or maybe their third and fourth corners aren't fantastic. So a team with a couple of wideouts and a good slot receiver can probably expose them. Some of those bit more deep dive angles where it may be somewhat known, but not too known. There might be something left in those. But yeah, no, I, I, agree. I agree. I wanted to ask on that topic about beat writers because the U.S. is kind of unique in that sense where they have you know, actual beat writers in the town living and breathing those teams. There's obviously plenty of that around the world, but not to the extent here. How much do you rely on beat writers as a U.S. handicapper and, and knowing, you know, college basketball, NFL, NBA, some of these sports? Oh, it's, uh, if you're, well, geez, if you're going to do college, if you want to, I, I specifically stick to pro sports because I think it's, I think it's pretty important. Um, and, uh, if I, I, I think back to the days when I bet a lot of college basketball and I think how in the world did I wrap my head around all the information that's out there for, you know, 300 schools, um, you know, playing as many games as they play. And, you know, there's only, you know, the, there's only 30 teams in the NBA. So it's a lot easier to kind of identify who's giving you information that's important to help you on your handicap. 
Um, and, you know, it's for the most part in the NBA, at least in the regular season, it's pretty straightforward. You just need to know who's getting rest and why and, and how much rest to expect for certain t- teams and certain players. And, and you need to know kind of what, and you know, you need to know what that rest is going to do to the, um, or what the, you know, what the injury is going to do to the team in terms of how they're going to roster and, and how it's going to change their pace, how it's going to change their efficiencies. Because if you're doing a baseline score projection and it's based on, you know, 10 games with a certain starting lineup and a certain bench rotation, and now all of a sudden one of the five starters is going out, maybe he doesn't have huge stats, but maybe he was an important part of how they like to run certain offensive sets. And now they're going to put in a guy who's, you know, a lot less able to get offensive rebounds so now the team instead of going for lots of offensive rebounds they're going to be running back on defense more that's going to immediately impact how you would expect the overall score to play out in the game and so maybe an under is a good look with the new rotation so things things like that you kind of have to kind of game out in in your head and using the beat writers information will point you in the right direction more often than it will mislead you i found um, and so thankfully there's only 30 teams and there's, there's a handful of good beat writers out there who write for the local papers and same for the NFL, only 32 teams. And, you know, actually what's interesting in the NFL is you can actually, if you can find media, local media markets and listen to, you know, listen to NFL, uh, talk on, on local radio for big games, I found you can really kind of get a lot of useful nuggets. And so I like to listen to like, pay, like, it's impossible for me to think about cap, cap handicapping a, a Patriots uh, home a Patriots playoff game without listening to like a couple hours of Boston sports talk and just hear what the um, just hear what the locals have to say about the team and and who's who's peaking and who's flagging and things like that. You get that from the local broadcasts or from the local beat writers more more readily than anywhere else, and so that's that's a that's a good 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 way to go. So do you have to still sift through that and take out what you think is just utter noise and then what you think is true inside knowledge and i wonder if you have a sense on how impactful that information is in the markets do you find when and i'm not talking about woge bombs or anything like that but you know the local denver nuggets guy who's you know tweeting out to his four thousand followers and 3200 of them 3200 of them are probably nuggets fans do you still think there's a there's a real edge or maybe a half point edge or whatever it might be on getting some of that info Oh man, if you can, it, it's, it goes, NBA markets move so fast. It'll blow you, it'll blow your socks off. If you, if you feel like you've heard it as it's being broken and then you blink, it, you'll see, you'll see lines come down. You'll see lines move half point, point and a half. Um, so it's not necessarily worthwhile if you're doing this for fun and you have a full-time <laughs> job it's not necessarily worthwhile to have like notifications on for tweets and really try to beat the markets and things like that um and in fact you know you if you bet nba daily you can get to the point where you can look at opening line versus current line and see how much it moved and know i better go check that guy's timeline and f- figure out really? who's not gonna be playing you know what i mean like uh what was the like yesterday like the the Timberwolves line moved five points and you're like, wait a second, they're in LA, they're playing the Clippers. Like, uh, they shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't, this line shouldn't have moved that much, you know, and you can sure enough, you go to, to check the local guy and he's like, Oh yeah, no, Jimmy Butler's got a hurt knee. He's not going to play tonight. It's yeah. like, okay, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so 
you can kind of pick up on a lot of that stuff just from kind of looking at how the lines are moving and if you see a big line move you ought to try to figure out why you know it's uh it's you know it's worth worth trying to dive into that stuff because sometimes the line you know line moves will be over corrections uh great can a great great nugget last you know great great example last night with the timberwolves uh even without butler you know that that gave some other guys on the team a chance to shine you know jimmy butler's been getting a lot of shine in the national media and sure enough like you know sit him you know sit him for one game and jeff teague and andrew wiggins are like it's my turn to ball out and they score 70 points combined you know and it's like so you know why would why would you have adjusted the line so much because it's just gave other guys on the team who've been aching to kind of explode, gave them the, the space to do so. So it's a, uh, it's a, you can catch, you know, over corrections like that. Anyway, I had the under, so I got murdered in that <laughs> game. So <laughs> it's not like I, it's not like I caught anything correctly. Uh, but uh, in fact, you know, I thought, you know, with the, uh, uh, you know, who knows? I thought, uh, I thought it would have been more like a kind of a playoff competitive game and, and you'd see uh, a little bit more of a grinding pace, and and sure enough, there's like 60 points every quarter. So that went right out the window. So I want to touch on in-play betting, and I'm not sure what the possibilities are, but you're obviously clearly got insights into pace and deep player and team knowledge, certainly NBA and and NFL. Is it possible for you to to do that, or is it useful, or do you think about what it would be like if you could bet in-play? Well, I can tell you this. Two couple things. First of all, if I was trying to do this professionally as opposed to recreationally uh i think that's probably your best way to consistently capture value on in any given sport i think if i if i was talking to someone who was like you know what i've been doing this long enough i really love this sport i really want to make this a profession i would say okay well you know i would focus on one sport then focus on live betting um and for me personally like I I had my most success in in sports betting over the course of about two thirds of a season live betting NBA totals, um, and I so I know it's I know that the opportunity is there because you can capture the you know the live most of the live totals and everything are they're all based on algorithms a lot of it is balancing liabilities about the you know what the handles like you know pre-game and what they're going to have to hang for lines at halftime and things like that and so almost certainly you're going to be able to find more value regularly in live action um, and it's easier to to extract immediate value and hedging um, you know if you're you know if you're doing this professionally maybe you're not willing to you know win or lose everything on a single game maybe you want to invest a lot and extract some value in a short amount of time and so maybe you see okay well you know i know uh, the the classic example was back in the day the oklahoma city thunder used to have the most lopsided rotations in the nba when they would take durant and westbrook off the floor the scoring just completely dried up yeah. and they were they were they were predictable this was with like scotty brooks and they were predictable. Like he would put the guys back in with after the first timeout, after eight minutes were gone in the second quarter, and so they were a high-scoring team. Generally, you would generally see high-scoring to- quarter totals. You could, you could, um, at the beginning of the quarter, bet under, watched Oklahoma City go four minutes without scoring a point, and then 
watch, you know, up oh, here comes the TV timeout. Up, oh, whoops, Westbrook and Durant are going to come back in. Uh, I'm gonna either going to sell out of this um, under or I'm going to buy the over now. And then I have like a 10 point middle. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, those those were pretty straightforward ways to kind of make hay out of the live betting. <laughs> OK. Um, the problem is you have to really be committed to doing it and you yeah. have to you have to have some very, very good risk management strategies to make it worthwhile. Um, I think you, you just have to know when to buy out of losing propositions and not continue to throw money on the pile in live betting. Um, I eventually had to just completely stop doing it entirely because I was like, you know, I, I couldn't ever get that that aspect of it down to where if something if I had a pregame expectation of what the pace was going to be and the points were just piling up and I'm like looking at the pace statistics through two quarters and like there's just no way this can carry on or you know something like that and I would I, it was just it was tough it was too tough for me to kind of get over the mental hurdle of I was wrong at the beginning of this this is not going correctly and there's not going to be a big shift here where I can capture some value going back the other way when I'm finally proven right in the third and fourth quarter so it's you know it's something I had to just totally stop doing because I wasn't prepared to commit the time and an an effort to become disciplined at kind of stopping my losses. So I suppose is the right way to say it. Um, and so it was just like, look, I'm, you know, I, I, I see that there's value and there's, there's a proposition in doing this, but you just have to have a more structured way of doing it than I was doing at the time. So I don't bet, I don't lie bet at all anymore. (laughs) I I don't, I don't have time bet even. That's Uh, interesting. Very, very rarely like week 17 of the NFL is the only week of the year that I really, save some set some bankroll aside to bet on halftime unders and things like that because you know you have a specific advantage in certain games where teams are just going to run out the clock and they hang you know they hang unders that are more you know kind of built on an algorithm and an expectation that's based on most of the regular season games where you know play teams are fighting for wins and things like that and that's the only thing that I really do anymore where I'm getting involved in halftime wagering or and or I'm trying to cover a particularly large liability on some future or some some parlay or something like that. There are times like that, but I, I, otherwise I, I, I just don't have the discipline to do it. So I just stick to my pregame call and let it ride. That's interesting because I, I know someone who did a fair bit of work uh, evaluating if you got plus or minus five points from the closing line, whether it's a spread or the uh, under over in NFL, how successful you would be. And the answer was pretty damn successful. If you could a get the bets on and B spend the time doing it and sprinkling in a little bit of handicapping sort of background in that. And, you know, it looked positive and then trying it with small bankroll for a while didn't go so well. And it was sort of a, a reflecting moment. I guess you probably had something similar or in that sense. And I think even for me, I'm not a huge NBA fan, I don't have deep knowledge, but I can understand that Scotty Brooks probably wants to lower the variance, have minimal possessions when his two superstars are off the court, so that makes perfect sense, but you're probably ultimately betting against a computer algorithm, which may have that in, you know included, but not necessarily all that way. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, there's there are, I'm sure the computers have gotten better at this and are better um you know, more uh, finely tuned to coaching tendencies and things like that, potentially for live markets. And it's entirely possible that if I decided tomorrow I'm going to quit my job and live bet NBA again as my full time job, I would be, uh, you know, disappointed with how much, how much sharper everything is. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's funny this week, obviously, we just had the Patriots win the championship game and came back 
I think they were about four or five to one in play uh, to win at one point. And everyone you talked to, oh, I knew they were going to win. I was like, well, there was four or five to one available. I didn't see you calling up anyone. And then they say, yeah, it was always going to happen. I say, well, what happened in the first game of the season against Kansas City? I think they were down 14 then, and then they were down 17, and then 21 or whatever it was, ended up losing by two touchdowns. Don't talk about that game where you thought they were going to come back. And it's the same discussions. Yeah, and you know anything that's anything that really challenges kind of uh, your your pregame perception, um, you know, and, and challenges how right or wrong you think you are is you know brings emotions into it that make it more difficult to kind of be disciplined. So, the business of betting podcast has set up a Patreon page. To all the listeners, if you wish to support more actively, feel free to do so via Patreon. The Business of Betting podcast will always be free. i got one more question. I really appreciate your time. This has been lots of fun, but before I let you go, have you got any advice for whether, whether recreational or semi-professional people out there about what not to do when they're sports betting? And we've touched on a few things, but I'm interested to hear about some of those things from you. Well... It took me a long time to kind of really get to. It just takes a lot of reps in terms of betting um, to where you have control over bankroll and things like that. Um, that's that. That was that was the hardest thing for me to learn. Really, um, you know, when you're when you're winning um, and you're you know your bankroll is going up which inevitably it will because you know you're if you're putting time and effort into it you're going to find winners and if they're stringed together and your bankroll is bloating um you know that's not a that's not a sign to increase your wager size because almost inevitably you'll regress to the mean and when you do if your wager size is larger than it was when you were going up then you're going to lose faster than you won um, and so kind of maintaining a consistent bank, you know, consistent wager size over the course of a season is really, really important. Um, knowing when to kind of stop your losses is particularly important if you're, you know, if you're betting a, uh, a large, um, a large volume, I guess the, um, the, kind of key to oh yeah the key to kind of taking emotion in out of it for me was betting a wager size that i didn't have specific i didn't lose sleep losing yeah um you know if 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 i put five plays um you know if consistency is key for me if you know kind of getting here if i put five plays in action and i have the same wager size every night um you know i'm my goal really is i want to go three and two I want to win a unit every night, and if I go four and one, awesome. If I go five and zero, oh, that's incredible. If I go two and three, it doesn't hurt. If I go one and four, you know, it doesn't hurt. If I go zero oh and five, like I'm angry. I want to get back <laughs> after it, and you know, get a, you know, get a better card up the next night to win it back. But I'm not going to do that by upping my unit size. I'm just going to stick to what I'm doing and not, you know, not fundamentally change my um, my approach and. and play more games or larger units or anything like that because um that's the most surefire way to to get yourself caught up in an emotional spiral no doubt that's very good advice uh before i let you go your twitter account and give your podcast a plug it's it's very good i listen to it quite often so i suggest others out there do so as well oh thank you uh so you can find me on twitter at whale underscore capper and that's um 
uh, Capper with two P's, I guess. That's the only way you can spell Capper, right? No matter if you're in Australia or UK or the US, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, we, my, my uh, podcast host and I, and again, this kind of goes back to the one of the stories I was telling at the beginning about like why I get involved in gambling Twitter from the first place. Like the podcast host that we recorded 45 episodes of NFL content this season uh andy uh from minnesota guy i met on twitter just uh tweeting back and forth and you know making cracking jokes and being on the same side of bad losses and good wins and the next thing you know we're friends and chatting it up about you know all different sports and we decided you know what we have a good rapport we have we have different perspectives and and different um sensibilities we would be a great podcast team and so we've started recording the deep dive podcast uh, and you can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud, and uh, we'll we I, I tweet links um, pretty regularly when we have new episodes and new content and stuff like that. So look out for the Deep Dive podcast, and um, yeah, we uh, we covered NFL like two podcasts a week all season, and now that the NFL is winding down, we're getting into tennis. We're going to do some NBA podcasts. We're going to have some special podcasts for the Winter Olympics and the Oscars and nice. NBA All-Star Game and fun things like that. So we're going to keep doing this all throughout the year. We'll have a, a Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest podcast come <laughs> July 4th. So Very cool. And it would be remiss of me not to thank uh, Long Beach State for getting your <laughs> career rolling um, back in the early 2000s. So to anyone who was on that team or involved in – in that game, we, we certainly appreciate it, and we got a great podcast with the whale capper out of it. That's funny. Yeah, the guy that tipped me off, uh, he's now like an assistant district, district attorney in Los Angeles, and uh, uh, I run into him from time to time, and, and he laughs at me. He's like, wow, I can't believe this is how it all worked out. So that's very funny. Cool. Well, Kevin, thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. All the very best uh, this year, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. All right. Thanks again for having me. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and please support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Gamble responsibly.